0: The sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies now a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was given i'm not a great fool so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of you but you must have known i was not a great fool you would have counted on it so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of me you made your decision then <laughs> not remotely because again comes from australia as everyone knows And Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them as you are not trusted by me, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going! Where was I? Australia. Yes, Australia. And you must have suspected I would have known the powder's origin, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're just stalling now. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? You've beaten my giant which means you're exceptionally strong so you could have put the poison in your own goblet trusting on your strength to save you so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of you but you've also bested my spaniard which means you must have studied and in studying you must have learned that man is mortal so you would have put the poison as far from yourself as possible so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of me you're trying to trick me into giving away something it won't work it has worked! You've given everything away! I know where the poison is! Then make your choice. I will! And I choose. What in the world can that be? What? What? I don't see anything. Mm. Oh, well, I could I have I saw something. I thought, no matter. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's so uh, funny? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. First, let's drink. Me from my class, and you from yours. I guess guessed wrong. That's what's so funny. I switched glasses when your back was turned. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs>
1: Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, We'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. It has been called the Wizard of Oz of our generation, meaning that although it was not a blockbuster film at the time of its release, over the years it's become a rare family film that has been enjoyed by children, their parents, and even their grandparents, as it has been handed down, in a sense, from generation to generation. It's also been known as one of the most quoted films of all time. You may think that's inconceivable, but get used to disappointment. So prepare for a battle of wits as Ron West and I take on the cliffs of insanity, the pit of despair, shrinking eels, and rodents of unusual size, as we discuss The Princess Bride from 1987 on this episode of the 80s flick Flashback. So welcome back, Mr. Ron West. How you doing, my friend? I am
2: beyond thrilled to be here (laughs) with you today, discussing what is probably my all-time favorite movie, uh, you know, and arguably the greatest movie ever made. Uh, You know, I I know some will give you Citizen Kane,
1: Casablanca, Mm -hmm. from From Here to Eternity, Apocalypse Now, Godfather. They would all be wrong. <laughs> it is the Princess Bride. Where else do you get fencing, fighting, torture,
3: poison, true love, hate, revenge, giants, hunters, bad men, good men,
2: <laughs> beautifulest ladies, snakes, spiders, pain, death, brave men, cowardly men, strongest men, chases, escapes, lies, truths, passions, and
1: miracles. That's actually a quote from the book. A little oh, bit different in the movie. Gotcha. But
2: that is the Princess Bride. Right.
1: All that in under two hours, because <laughs> the Lord of the Rings had to get some of that in about eight or ten hours, depending on which cuts you watched of the, th- exactly. the whole trilogy. So yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. I would agree. This is one of those movies that can do multiple things well. Like it's a comedy, it's romantic, it's exciting, it's a it's a love story for you know uh, you know man and woman, or, you know, love, you know, that kind of love relationships, and then a love between a, a, a grandson and his grandfather, uh, hitching all the feels in in those two categories, as well as being really funny, uh, really exciting, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll jump into all that, but yeah, I agree, it's, it is definitely one of the, one of the best movies ever made, hands down. And for those people who don't like it, like your wife, <laughs> <laughs> who, who I have encouraged you to divorce on
3: multiple occasions because of her dislike of the
2: princess bride.
1: Not true, uh, but okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have encouraged you to do that. Maybe you're not. Maybe I need not encourage louder. Um, the the humor coming in more of a satirical form yeah, than yeah. I think. For some people, can kind of mm-hmm. strike the wrong chord. It's also because of that, one of those movies, that the more times you watch it, yeah. the more you like it and the more funnier you find it.
1: Exactly. And that's what I was... Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm not going to jump too far. So let's jump right in. When did you see Princess Bride for the very first time?
2: You know what is funny? Every one of these that we have done, I've given you a very exact... <laughs> you know, about how I saw this in the movie theater. Right, right. My all-time favorite movie, and I did not oh, see yeah. this in a movie theater, yeah. Uh this came out nineteen eighty seven. I moved to Florida in nineteen eighty seven, and basically didn't have any friends, so I wasn't going to the movies really. <laughs> in, uh during the time in nineteen eighty seven that this came
3: out, so right. I did not uh, see this in a movie theater. I saw it on you know when it came out on uh, VCR. VHS, yeah. Um,
2: and, and what I think is funny about that is I you know this did not do well at the box office, which no. I know you're going to talk about, no. and you already did a little. Right. I I would wager that. For a favorite movie for people, that this movie, more people, for the people that this is their favorite movie, mm-hmm. more of them saw it at home for yeah. the first time, Yeah. versus like if Star Wars is your favorite movie, mm-hmm. you probably saw that in a the movie theater for the first time. Right. But right. this is one of the few movies that so many people who love it did not see it in the movie theater, yeah. but yeah. saw it at home.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, I would agree. So yeah, I didn't see it in the theater Uh, and I, this is one that I do not remember seeing the first time. Like, I don't remember, like, I know I saw it because number one, I was a Billy Crystal fan. Um, so I know that I saw it because he was in it, but I don't think I saw it at the theater. I'm pretty sure I either rented it or I saw it when it came on cable, you know, uh, as a, as a kid. Um, but I didn't appreciate it until I was much older. And that's what I think. And I I was watching, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes, uh, stuff on the d on the blu-ray that i was watching they talk about that how you know the humor even though kids can enjoy it they don't really get the humor until they're like in high school or college um to really get the gist of some of the jokes and stuff and so i think that's why right. i probably enjoyed it when i saw it younger but because the comedy didn't didn't hit like it does like it did when i was in college it was just like oh yeah that was fun it was a fun movie but it didn't it didn't resonate with me as like one of my childhood favorite movies. I really didn't appreciate it for what it was until I was like uh, really between high school and college because we, uh, when I toured with a singing group between high school and college, there were a couple of people on that, on that tour that were really big fans of this movie. And we would get certain days on the tour. We had kind of free days and uh, I think it was around Thanksgiving. Uh, we went to somebody's house and we watched that as a group together and I was even going back and watching it now. I was like, this is that type of movie. Like it's fun to watch by yourself, but I would love to see this once again with a group of people that love it. will throw the lines, almost like a Rocky horror picture show type of movie where, right. you know, people can come dressed up and, you know, uh, have, you know, kind of cool food and then, you know, have fun with the movie as it's going on because you've seen it so many times. So that's, I kind of think about that as my first time, quote unquote, because that was the first time I watched it with like older eyes and was like really appreciated it for what it was. And I've just loved it even more every other time I've seen it now because such phrases are so uh, pop culture heavy. It's like, you know, and it's stuff that I, I, I may not say it out loud, but I'll, I'll hear things and the line will play in my mind and I'll just start laughing like if it's a crowded place. And I just want to go, everybody move, like, <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely can't do the voice like Andre the Giant, so I don't dare try it, but.
2: I, I was, li- I know what you mean, and this is probably the most, at least for me, I think for a lot of
3: people, the most quotable movie yeah.
2: Yeah. of all time. I mean, Coming to America is pretty high on that list as well, yeah. but this movie, like you said, things, well, I was watching an action movie the other night, and the, and uh, the guy said um actually i don't know i think it was the wire i think i was watching the wire because i've been going back and watching the tv show right the wire and someone said i hate to kill you and the first thing i thought was you seem a decent <laughs> fellow i hate, I hate
3: to die, die. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly uh, so how long has it been since you've seen it before watching oh, it for the podcast
2: that's I, I think it's on a continuous loop somewhere house. <laughs> that it, it never goes off uh princess bride is on tv a lot and if i'm changing channels and it's
3: on yeah uh the tv stops and right. there's there's a, t- a few of those movies for me mm-hmm. where it it stops and and stays there uh
2: watching it complete from the beginning to end uh it does not go beyond six months for me of watching yeah uh, that and i can say that about a few
3: things mm-hmm. uh uh, but it, at some point, every
1: six months, at least I'm watching it, and I may get little bits and parts of it.
2: Yeah. Other other times. So what about
1: you? Yeah, I think the last time I watched it from beginning to end was actually with you guys when we were watching. We were, we and my wife sit down and watch it uh, at your house, probably what four, maybe four, four years about ago. Four years ago, yeah. So that was that's the last time I watched it from beginning to end. But like you, like you said, if I if it's on TV, I'll at least watch the next commercial break or you know I've seen bits and pieces here and there. So is definitely one that you can watch every year multiple times a year and still enjoy it for sure so now have you ever read the book that it's based on I'm sure you have I, I have it I do not own the book I read it I used to work in a library so mm-hmm. um, I read it years ago I would
3: love to get it I have it on a list of
2: things like perpetually for Christmas <laughs>
3: for
2: my, my, my wife to buy me the problem is what I have
3: on there is a first edition oh, that yeah. I would like her to find. Which those <laughs> those are going to have a comma at the, at the price, right, of, right, because it is such a beloved book and in at in uh, 73, three three, yeah, I think. yeah. So yeah, so I, I
2: would love a first edition of of the book. So I've I've read the book, but I really only read it once. Uh, books are always better. Yeah, you know, in every every movie is based on a book. The book yeah. is better. Just that's just the nature of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't have the affinity for the book that others have. I have
3: seen – like there are quotes. Like, I have a quote in front of me right now from Buttercup that's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. And and it
2: is – and when I say quote, it's I – mean, I could go through it and read it, but it's going to take me five minutes to read it. I mean it is <laughs> a big narrative. Right. But loving the movie like we do and knowing it like we do, this fits with that so well mm-hmm. and
3: you can so – see and hear her saying these things
1: and it's just it would just be fantastic yeah,
2: yeah. and it, it just lets you know how these words are just
1: dripping off the page off of gold goldman's page yeah now now i'm kind of interested i wonder if there's like a dramatic reading of the book like on audible or something like that i'd, I'd be willing to try to look for it to kind of li- you know listen to it instead of reading it and kind of hearing not just one person narrating but like if they actually like a dramatic reading of the book that'd be pretty cool so and if you do that audible, I want my I want, I want my residuals since I gave you that idea. If it, if it doesn't exist as of today, so. so so
2: I I so want to read you this quote. That's why I actually have it pulled up, but I'll do it after the podcast. Okay, it is,
3: it is okay. very long.
1: All right, gotcha. All right, well I, well I know I know you have a book by Kerry Ellis that he wrote about uh, the as experience. You wish. Yep. So uh, as we get into the trivia and stuff, I'm sure you'll have more to add to maybe some of the things that I pulled up, which some of the stuff came from the book. Um, but let's just jump right into uh, how it came about. So so Rob Reiner, actor-turned-director, been enamored with the book written by William Gold- Goldman, as we said, in 1973. Uh, it was given to him as a gift from his father, director Carl Reiner, and actor. Uh, he said he wanted to make the film adaptation after successfully demonstrating his filmmaking skill with the release of This Is Spinal Tap in 84 and The Sure Thing in 85. So during production of Stand By Me, released in 86, which was a previous episode on here, uh, Rayner had spoken to an executive at Paramount Pictures regarding what his next film would be, and he actually suggested doing an adaptation of The Princess Bride. He was told they couldn't because uh, there had been several studios that had previously attempted to bring Goldman's book to the big screen without any success. Uh, Those previous attempts included 20th Century Fox, which actually paid Goldman $500,000 for the film rights and do a screenplay in 73. When the book was released director, Richard Lester was signed to direct and the movie was almost made, but the head of production at Fox was fired and the project was put on hiatus. Goldman eventually bought back the film rights to the novel with his own money. Other directors who had also attempted to adapt the book include Robert Redford and Norman Jewison. And at one point Christopher Reeve was interested in playing Wesley in one of the planned adaptations. Uh, Rainer found success by gaining financial support from Norman Lear, who he knew from All in the Family, and had funded production of This is Spinal Tap, with the production to be distributed by 20th Century Fox. Rob Reiner worked closely with Goldman to adapt the book for the screenplay. If I may, Go for uh, it. And what, one of those early
2: renditions that they were trying to get made, the role of Fezzik, which would eventually be
3: played by Andre the Giant, right. was... Uh, Uh, an unknown Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, was going to be cast in that role and had had agreed to it. And then, of course, by the time they made the movie, he was way too expensive.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I can't really see anyone else directing this movie. And he even said, in one of the -the behind-the-scenes things I was watching, he said, because Spinal Tap was this kind of satirical, spoof kind of a movie, and then The Sure Thing being a very romantic, you know, rom-com kind of comedy... He said maybe they saw that if he can do those those two films really well, putting those two things together, uh, maybe he's the right guy for the job. And so it was kind of kismet that it, it worked out that way. So it's just amazing that
2: Meathead from All in the Family is responsible <laughs> for my all time favorite
1: movie. Yeah, and I so I, I so are you a big Rob Reiner fan as a director? I mean, what other movies you, of you of his do you know that you've seen? Oh, uh, you know, I, I know that I like Rob Reiner. I I, I enjoy his. Um, his view of of looking at things. I, I'd have to go through the list of the things that he's he's directed off the top of my head. Yeah, now, this is the
2: one that comes to mind off the top of my head every
1: time. Uh, yeah, I know. Go. Like three like three of my quote what I would consider like all time favorite movies are directed by him. And that Stand by Me, which we've done before, this one, right. and then When Harry Met Sally is still one of my all time favorite rom com movies in the traditional rom com, not like. The bracket we did a couple weeks ago. So, but you, you do like you some Billy Crystal. I do like Billy Crystal. Yeah. Hey, I was a <laughs> Billy Crystal City Slickers. Uh, when Harry Met Sally. Yeah, I did like I did like missing Billy Crystal. What's the um, the buddy cop movie with, uh, with Run, running, scared, okay. running Scared? Running that Scared that they did with okay. uh, Gregory. Gre- you Gre- you yeah, Gregory Yeah. I love and, I love um, that movie. I haven't seen that one in a long time, but yeah, that was one of my favorites. So
2: I always like that one and City Slickers. When Harry Met Sally, I was I was okay with it was it was not one of my not one of my favorites.
1: But
3: yeah. but speaking, of, and you probably have those notes again when you did the casting. But with Harry Met Sally, uh, Meg Ryan was uh, one of
1: the women that auditioned for Monica. Yep, sure did. So. <laughs> Well, since we're there, let's let's jump into casting since we're already kind of talking about it. So in an alternate universe, The Princess Bride could have starred Colin Firth as Wesley, Danny DeVito as Vizzini, Sting as Humperdinck, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, as you mentioned, as Fezzik. Each was concerted for the film at one point during pre-production. And I'm sure that was a much younger Colin Firth because, you know, I, I don't even know of anything he was in before the last, what, 15 years yeah, during during that time frame during the late eighties,
3: there's nothing I could I could name. Yeah, um, but uh, man, I just think that would have been Goldman's like worst reality come <laughs> to life. I think that's not because anything against any of those people, but one right. of the reasons Princess Bride
1: works is that everyone is so charming. Yeah, even yeah. the villains are charming mm-hmm. in that way, and I don't think that casting group would pull that off. Right. Yeah. I agree. So, of course, we you know Reiner quickly decided on Carrie Elwes for Wesley based on his performance in Lady Jane. During the casting period in Los Angeles, Elwes was in Germany on set for another film. So Reiner flew out to Berlin to meet him, confirming his appropriateness for the role. While Reiner and casting director Jane Jenkins auditioned other actors for Wesley, they knew Elwes was perfect for the part. Elwes had read the book in his childhood and associated himself with the character of Wesley, but never believed he would have the opportunity to play him. Carry uh, was cast because of what Rob Reiner called his Douglas Fairbanks and Errol Flynn quality. Fairbanks and Flynn both played Robin Hood in the 1920s and 30s. Elvis would later spoof their performances in the Mel, Bru- Mel Brooks parody film Robin Hood Men in Tights in 1993.
2: So, the um, you know you mentioned earlier that Rob Reiner was a fan of him because he had gotten the book from his father. Right. Uh,
0: did Did you realize that the father got the book from Goldman? Goldman was friends with Carl Ryan and actually gave him the book (laughs) and so
1: he actually got it from the author himself that's that's pretty cool cool. which is probably why they worked well together once again too I mean it was somebody that he knew wasn't with a director that he had no relationship with so I'm sure they were able to probably work well together for that reason that he could take Rob's suggestions and be knowing his instincts were were good for what would work in the movie and even talking about Goldman and this comes later in the filming but uh, Goldman had said that he didn't he didn't like being on the set. He said I know a lot of writers do, but he said the first day of filming was in the uh, the forest with the rodents of unusual size. But when the uh, the flames come up out of the ground, when uh, Buttercup's dress caught on fire, he started screaming, "Her dress is on fire! Her dress is on fire!" and messed up the take. Even though he knew that's what was supposed to happen, he said he just couldn't he couldn't separate himself from the reality of what was going on. So he said, it's better for me to just not be there when this goes on. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
2: He, he had said that he, he didn't like to be on set for his things. Cause one, he finds it boring. And then like you said, it's just difficult. But b- because of the relationship with Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner asked him, yeah. and said that he wanted him there. And so that's, that's, otherwise if it wasn't for that relationship, he probably never would have been there
1: anyway. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's hard as a writer to kind of completely detach yourself from something while it's filmed and then you go to the theater to see it and like, what were they thinking? So, yeah. Right, I mean, you wrote, you wrote the book it's based on and then wrote the screenplay from your own <laughs> book. But there, yeah, that's, that's, that's gotta be difficult. Yeah. Robin Wright as Buttercup was cast late in the process about a week before filming began. Uh, Reiner and Jenkins had auditioned a number of English actresses as well as some then-unknown American actresses, as Ron mentioned, Meg Ryan, Courtney Cox, and Uma Thurman. Uh, but had not found their ideal buttercup. Wright's agent had heard of the casting call and encouraged her to audition. Though initially shy, she impressed Jenkins and later Reiner. They invited Wright to come meet Goldman at his house. Jenkins, this is his story, he says, the doorbell rang, Rob went to the door, and literally as he opened the door, she was standing there in this little white summer dress with her long blonde hair, and she had a halo from the sun. She was backlit by God, and Goldman looked across the room at her and said, well, that's what I wrote. It was the perfect. It was the most perfect thing.
2: And, you know, she comes by the British accent somewhat uh, genuinely. Her father was British, so she grew up
1: with one of her parents with the yeah. British accent all of her life. So she, that's why she was able to to,
2: to kind of adopt that accent uh, much more legitimately
1: than, mm-hmm. than probably some others. Well, she did say that she uh, perfected her British accent because she's from Texas by watching episodes of Monty Python over and over again. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which would make sense uh, with a British father.
1: This
3: yeah. Uh, yeah. Monty
2: s- Python uh, episodes laying around the house to watch.
3: Yeah.
1: I thought it was interesting that uh, for the movie, uh, it was, she was actually on the soap opera Santa Barbara at the time of filming. So she needed to take off uh, from the TV commitments to go and shoot the movie in the United Kingdom. Uh, so she was at her producer's mercy. The producers of the soap would only allow her the time off if she would extend her contract for one more year. This was a smart move on their part because it it meant that if the movie made her a star, which it did, they'd have at least a year to capitalize on her newfound stardom. So
3: Right, because
2: this movie, she's the only one that says in the in the opening credits and in, introducing right. Robin Wright. Right. And this is before she married Sean Penn and
1: became Robin Wright Penn, and of course before she would star what Tom Hanks movie my friend? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump where she is Jen Jenny. A. A.
2: Uh, which is probably the role she's she's best known for. Yeah, but nowadays. for me, she will always be
1: Buttercup. Yeah, yeah. That's there's a big there's a big gap of time between those two movies. Well, not that big. Eighty seven to what 94, yeah. yeah. She just seems so much older in Forrest Gump. But I think she was nineteen when she was. <laughs> she's
2: been married to Shop for a few years. That'll <laughs> age her age right up.
1: Right, right. Well, I say <laughs> I think she was nineteen when they filmed this one. So she was right. you know in her twenties. So. She didn't look as much like a like a teenager um, at that point. So moving on, Mandy Patinkin, who is one of my favorites, and Wallace Shawn were early choices for the cast. Shawn, in particular, was chosen as Vizini due to his diminutive size in contrast to the dad of giant Fezzik. While his performance as Vizini is one of the film's most quoted. Wallace Shawn was under the impression Reiner was going to fire him every single day. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he, he, he had the uh, Danny DeVito complex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. N- knowing that Danny DeVito was
2: such an accomplished actor and was friends with Reiner, and that's who he wanted in the role yeah. originally.
1: Yeah, he had he had heard from, I guess his agent had told him, he said, yeah, you're the third choice. They wanted DeVito, couldn't get him. Then they wanted Richard Dreyfuss, couldn't get him, so they settled for you. So he said that he would, before every take, he would think, how would DeVito do this? And then he would just kind of totally psych himself out. And then Reiner was like, why would you think I'm going to fire you? But, uh, Carrie uh, Elwes noted that Wallace was visibly sweating during the Battle of Wits scene. He said to Rob Reiner that he didn't feel he'd get the part because he isn't Sicilian. Rob Reiner assured him that his voice was exactly the same as Vicini's in the book. So, but once again, I can't imagine anybody else in that role besides Wallace Shawn, yeah. And it's also doubly fitting that, uh, unlike,
3: or at least unlike DeVito, I can't speak, uh, off the top of my head for uh, Richard Dreyfuss, I yeah.
2: think he said. But, uh... Uh, Wallace is very intelligent and educated.
3: He's yeah. Harvard and Oxford educated, and in fact, on the day off from filming, went as a guest lecturer to Oxford from the okay. Prince Bride set to uh, speak. Which is funny because now he plays the professor on uh, Young Sheldon oh, on yeah, the yeah, show yeah. That's, that's that's on now. So he's playing a an aged college professor,
1: uh, but he, he's a very smart guy, just like Bassini He yeah. brags <laughs> about his intellect, yeah, his brains. So uh, he did say that, you know, he's even though people know him from the Princess Bide, probably more than anything else. And of course, their favorite line is to say inconceivable. He he doesn't like it because he said, you know, when people meet Mandy Patinkin, they wanted to say, you know, hello, my name is Nigel Matoya You can my father prepare to die. Carrie uh, Elvis gets as you wish, uh, he said. But no, he'll be he'll be minding his own business. Drop his car keys before he gets to the car. And somebody across the street, yell inconceivable. And so he, <laughs> he, was like, "I got the I got the short end of the deal of famous quotes on this movie." So yeah,
2: he probably did, he probably did. But uh, I mean, I've always, and of course, inconceivable is, is classic.
3: But I've always liked the uh, never go in against a Sicilian while death is on the line. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Then it kills over. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then he's also got the
2: when he asks me you that smart, or are you what is he, see? It's a uh, you've heard of Socrates,
3: yeah. Plato.
1: Aristotle? Yes. They're all uh, morons. Yeah, yeah.
2: imbeciles. <laughs> yeah.
1: Imbeciles, yeah, whatever he yeah, says. Yeah, Yeah. so... Alright, so you mentioned earlier about Fezzik. So, uh, Goldman originally shopped his novel in the early 70s. His first choice was Andre the Giant, who he said he actually envisioned when he was writing Andre the Giant while he was uh, writing the book. But his wrestling schedule left him unavailable for filming. Goldman's second choice was Arnold Schwarzenegger, as Ron mentioned earlier who at the time was almost unknown as an actor. However, by the time the Princess Bide was finally greenlit, Schwarzenegger was a major film star and the studio could not afford him. Jenkins contacted the World Wrestling Federation to ask about hiring Andre, but were told that the filming conflicted with a wrestling match in Tokyo that would pay him $5 million. Jenkins then had to audition other tall men, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That would have been interesting. Uh, Lou Ferrigno and Carol Strutkin but these didn't pan out. Near the end of casting, the World Wrestling Federation told Jenkins that Andre's match in Tokyo had been canceled, clearing him to play the role of Vesik. For his part, Andre found his participation was a gratifying experience, considering that no one stared at him on set during production as a kind of freak, but instead simply treated him as a fellow member of the cast. Yes,
2: and there are legendary stories of Andre the
3: Giant <laughs> on that set and other set, but yeah. uh,
2: there are very specific uh, drinking yeah. Stories of Andre the Giant, where um Robin Wright talked about how he he would drink three entire bottles of cognac
3: mm-hmm. and twelve bottles of wine, yeah, and that that would make him just a little tipsy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, um you know, just someone of that of that size. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said when they would go
2: t- when they would go out, he would just you know because his
3: hands were so big, he it's hard to yeah. hold a little glass or a little can of beer. Yeah, so so he would just the pitcher the Mm -hmm. 40 ounce pitcher and he would just mix every kind of of hard liquor in it that
2: he could find and he called that the american yeah that was was what what he called the drink the american all all liquor mixed together in one thing and he would uh Drink that, and sadly, you know the stories of Angeliano is that he, he did that because it was a little bit of numbing. He was so yeah. at that point in his life, he was in so much pain. He, yeah.
3: had, he had bad back issues, and this guy had been a professional wrestler for a couple of decades. And you know that height, that weight that you carry around
2: comes with with issues with your joints, with your hips, and with him,
3: his back. So much so that Robin Wright, who's tiny, yeah, all of, barely a hundred pounds. pounds, yeah, things what he said in the scene at the end where they drop her and he catches her in his arms Mm -hmm. in in the
2: movie. She's jumping out of like the second floor window that he couldn't even hold her. They had to use a stand in to hold her, which is why you kind of see her dress like flutter over his face. So you can't see who he is. And then um, they're actually, when they, clear that and you can see him there's actually wires actually holding her up but he's got
3: his arms under her like mm-hmm. he's holding her yeah. but you think about that a guy of that immense size and strength yeah. who you know I've watched as a professional wrestler for so long <laughs> do all these crazy things mm-hmm. and so strong and he could even at that point hold up that that little uh, lady yeah. and of course uh that he has the golf cart to get yeah. around because it's hard for him to walk yeah. and uh, sto- stories attached to that golf cart if <laughs> I may go ahead where go for it. he convinced very early in the shooting
2: he yeah. convinced Kerry Elvis to take his golf cart for a spin yeah. and Kerry Elvis a little bit like Sean Wallace was afraid he would get fired because he was like I'm kind of the least known person here Exactly. Yeah. Um, he takes it for a spin wrecks it breaks the big toe on his on his
0: foot and yeah. he's
2: trying to hide that from Robert Rainer but Uh, He's limping around on set, and once you know that, once you have that knowledge, there are scenes that you can see him noticeably hiding that. One of which is when he comes into contact with, uh, when he's rescuing uh, Buttercup, because she does not know who he is yet. He's still the the man in black with the mask,
3: and he goes to sit down. The way he says he can't put the pressure on his foot, he kicks one leg straight out and lowers himself down
2: because he has a broken toe.
3: Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, Rob Reiner decided
2: not to fire him yeah. for for doing that.
1: Yeah, and and Reiner apparently
2: said, Andre just found the entire thing hysterical.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And Reiner said of that shot, like he didn't know that his foot was broken when they filmed that scene, and he said he went back and looked at the dailies. He's like, "Wow, what an elegant way to sit down! Like that's <laughs> that was a very wise choice of it to make." He said, and then I found out later he couldn't put weight on his foot. It was like, "Oh, he did that out of necessity. That wasn't an acting choice. That was a pain choice." So yeah, pain choice. Yeah. Yeah, Reiner said that well, he, he felt but he's told him. He said you should never feel like you can't come to me and tell me these things. I'm not gonna fire you or you know. But that was that was only one of one of the issues that he had because he actually got knocked out. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And he went to the same doctor. So the shot where he gets knocked over the head by Christopher Guest when he knocks him out. Christopher Guest. And they tried a couple of different takes and it didn't work. And he said just go ahead and hit me with the go ahead and just hit me regular. He said the next thing you know, he woke up in the hospital room in full <laughs> costume with the same doctor that treated his foot. He said, well, uh, Mr. Zorro, uh, it sounds like you're uh, you're not having such a great time or something like that, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah,
2: that is a uh, great story, and
1: uh, here's your leading man, the dashing. Uh, <laughs> guy. He gets knocked out and gets a broken toe uh, on different days on set. Yeah, I didn't get much research as far as, like, uh, Christopher Guest or... Um, Uh, Chris Sarandon who round out the cast there wasn't much about you know those uh, Christopher Guest of course is good friends with Reiner Um, I think he was well cast he's one of my favorites and then Sarandon uh, was also pretty I guess was pretty well known uh, among Reiner at that time so they kind of came in as friends of his rounded out the cast rather nicely so uh, anyone you want to highlight that you've uh, No, I mean, Sarandon as Humperdinck is, uh, really good. He's got that the great air of, uh, of, um, just a, a very punchable face to use a more <laughs> modern uh, term, but you, 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 just
2: want someone to just punch him. And at the end, when, when Wesley punks him mm. and, sho- and shows him to be a coward and yeah. he, and then tells him he has to deal with his cowardice, you know, when they, when they let him, when they let him live, um, you know that's just uh, you know. Well, I mean, it's fantastic writing, but Sarandon does a great job with that. Christopher Guest is you know it, it's it's very non-emotional role as this, the you know the six-finger man and
1: mm-hmm. um, kind of detached. He he has the one funny line of, "Well, oh, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything," thing, yeah, <laughs> um,
2: which is a, a, a great line as he's torturing people, um, and then. Uh, um, were you doing anyone else with the cast? We're we gonna talk about uh, uh, little
3: Freddie
1: Savage, little, yeah, little Wonder Years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have it. Yeah, he was uh, he was chosen. This was before he started Wonder Years, so he was still uh, pretty much unknown at that point. But yeah, him and Peter Falk as the grandfather. Uh, I think those were pretty much. I think Fred Savage said that he, you know, they had auditioned a bunch of kids and they kind of wanted him early on, but they they were kind of waiting uh, to see if anybody else uh, stood out, but he was kind of, I guess, earmarked early on in the audition and they still went through all the auditions and came back to him. And then, uh, Peter Falk, as the grandfather I think was, that was the only, that was the only uh, choice they really wanted for that, that role. So, uh, and then of course we had to talk about Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, uh, as their cameos as the, uh, Miracle Max and his wife. She's a witch. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. <laughs> <laughs> miracle max billy crystal um and i've i've
3: seen him give this interview before he, he's talked about it several times and billy again billy crystal, big friends with rob reiner yeah and yeah. carl reiner you know, that that whole group
2: he also knew goldman loved goldman loved the book yeah um and and was was willing to do anything to to be in the role mm-hmm. he and carol kane uh actually went to you know took the scripts
3: and went to an apartment and made up their own Backstories yeah. for their couple, yeah. like you know, for all we know, they've been together for hundreds of years. So this, <laughs> I would love to hear their backstory oh, that yeah. they came up with oh, yeah. as a couple. Uh, and uh, and Billy Crystal,
2: probably my all-time favorite line in this movie is him saying, "Oh, I love a nice M.L.T. a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich, or the mutton with nice mm-hmm. and deep and the tomatoes are ripe." <laughs> and I've heard him give the interview where he talks about how. You know, that's all famous people do. They hate to be interrupted when they're eating
3: dinner. You know, yeah. putting a fork of food in your mouth and someone's going, Can I get an autograph? Can mm-hmm. I take a picture? And he said he really hates that, and, and but he said if the person makes some kind of reference to the Princess Bride, mm-hmm. he will stop what he's doing, he'll go over to their table, because he said, I know that's a special kind of person. Yeah. Uh,
2: and so he said, if I'm starting to eat and someone looks over and says, is that a nice MLT? He was like, I'll, I will instantly just get up and follow that person around the restaurant and and, and, uh, and have a great time. And of course, they all talked about, he was on set for three days, three 10 yeah. 10-hour days.
3: Right. And everyone on set talked about how every line that he made was different. He never repeated a line twice. It yeah. was all ad-libbed. Yeah. And they
2: said that most of the stuff could not
3: go in the PG-13 movie because <laughs> he was far more adult <laughs> in nature. Uh, right. man, was it
2: Mandy, Mandy Patinkin? Yeah. Not, I think that uh, brushing bruised the rib. Yep, Trying to so, hold in his laughter. So, Trying to hold in laughter yeah. from Billy Crystal's lines as as yeah. uh,
1: Miracle Max. All of the all of the fighting scenes, which Manny Patinkin, every every fighting scene is him him and Carrie Ellis. The only scene that was not the only scene that was a stunt man was I think one of the the flip off of the the bar. Uh, but he said of all the fighting scenes he was in, the only injury he suffered on set was bruising a rib from holding in his laughter during the Billy Crystal scenes. Crystal. And then Rob Ryder wouldn't. He wouldn't stay on set. He had to keep leaving. They said he would laugh so hard, try to hold the laughter, and so he made himself nauseous. He felt sick, so he would just say, "Okay, here's the line. I need you to give. Just do this part. Okay, give me, give me, give me thirty seconds." And then he'd have the ad yell, "Action!" And he would be out of the room because he couldn't stay in the room during those those scenes. So
2: I would love to see if they had that recorded, like those
1: outtakes. Just oh, Billy yeah. Crystal. Yeah. With Carrie Carrie always laying there trying to pretend to be dead, which you know he can't do because you know he's, he's laughing. Oh yeah.
3: Billy Crystal standing over
2: him saying whatever Billy Crystal is right. saying.
1: Well that's why they're all tight uh, shots. You don't see too many wide shots of him under you know, the body laying there, they're all little tight shots, so uh,
2: so yeah, so just great casting throughout throughout the movie. There's there's no one miscast
1: in this and uh it's not the same if you start replacing people. Yeah. So talking about Miracle Max, this was funny. Uh, Crystal, Billy Crystal said this. He said, once you have the makeup on, you can't not be in character. He said, I'd order lunch in character as Max. And it was like, how's the shepherd's pie? Is it spicy? Will I regret it in the morning? And the waitress would say, no, sir. I think it's quite lovely. He'd say, well, yeah, you don't know my colon. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. So. All right, so any favorite scenes? Oh, Can you pick one? All right, I'll give you two. Give me. Okay, your top three. Top three.
2: In order, I'll go in reverse order. Okay. Uh, three, um, uh, three for me is um, Wesley looking at Buttercup. Uh, you know, after she says the R.O.U.S.s, is and he goes, "Rodents of unusual size." I don't think they exist. Yeah. And uh, and the giant rodent jumping out and grabbing him by the
3: throat. Right. That's three. Two. For me, is the very ordained and fancy-looking preacher who's getting ready to marry them, who of course has the
2: speech impediment and goes to the
3: malage, Mm -hmm. malage. Every time I watch that, I literally laugh out Mm -hmm. loud at that scene, which is supposed to be such a serious scene. Right.
2: And of course, for me, the scene that encompasses this movie, the scene of what this movie is about that I try to explain to people. Because it's a love <laughs> story between Wesley and Buttercup, of course. But that's not really it. It's a love story between a grandfather <laughs> and a grandson. Right. And from the beginning of the movie, when little little Freddie Savage, little Kevin Arnold, doesn't want uh, Columbo to read him a uh, story, he's like, oh, granddad's here. Is this a to, kissing book? <laughs> to, to, to the end, when he says, uh, granddad, can you come back tomorrow and read it to me again? Mm-hmm. And... And granddad Peter Falk Columbo, turns around and looks at him and says,
3: As you wish. Because mm-hmm. that's the love scene. Yeah. The you know, wrestling and buttercup, you
2: know, the, as you wish, I would do anything as you wish, which when I read you what she says to him before the as you wish thing, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh my gosh, that is <laughs> fantastic. And um uh, because the quote that I'm gonna read you is from very, very, very early in the movie when, you know, she's being mean to
3: the stable boy, right, and then all of a sudden in the movie it's and they're in love, and he's leaving to yeah. kind of earn his way. So there's a whole them falling in love kind of that we miss in the movie, there. yeah. Right. So that end, that scene has always, to me, uh, just encompassed what the book is about: love story between
2: two generations, three generations apart, I guess. You know, grandfather and grandson, or two new two generations apart. Mm-hmm. But. Um, that's always been like that just strikes me it brings a little tear to my eye every time I see that
3: scene as Peter Falk turned there, just a little a little gleam in his eye just the slightest Mm -hmm. little
2: smile as he's acknowledging that my grandson who didn't want me here before now wants me to come back
3: tomorrow and read the story Um, again yeah and you have to understand that as as you're doing
2: this like throughout the movie and throughout the book like he's not the happy you know he tells his grandson to shut up (laughs) (laughs) so he's it's not just like this little, you know, uh, living in a rainbow, riding unicorns around grandfather and everything. It's right, a very right. realistic grandfather, <laughs> he, you know, whereas the grandson is, you know, and the grandson's complaining about, but like, what are you reading this to me for? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, the bad guy doesn't get it in the end. Yeah. yeah. You're very excited. So that whole thing, and then he was like, yeah, you're very smart. Shut up. I want to go back to read the book. You know, but then at the end, that little smile, that little acknowledgement of, yeah. I've I've kind of made a difference, and I've also
3: obviously he has great fondness for this book, mm-hmm. and that he's also feeling that, that pride of now his granny's
2: he's passed this on to his grandson who also loves this book, Yeah. Uh, who will then probably pass it on to his children and his children's children. That to me will always be what the movie is about. Well said. Sure.
3: Go.
1: <laughs> well, mine's not as sentimental as yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have two my, my I have two favorite scenes. Uh, before I get to those kind of in line with the uh the priest and the marriage that's one of my favorite comedy bits as you would say the other one is in the pit of despair when he's like where am i you're in the pit de- of <coughs> you're in the pit of despair they're like that you know the the grovelly voice where you're thinking it's like for a dramatic effect and he's got something stuck in the store like just those little those little quick bits are just are, are they still make me laugh every time he does that uh it makes me laugh but my two favorite scenes probably my my I love the first fight scene between Inigo Matoya and Wesley, or at that point he's the Dread pir- Pirate Roberts. It's such a fantastic sword fight scene. Of course, you know, we don't get to see those kind of sword fight scenes in today's movies. You know, everything's gunfights right. and hand-hand to combat. And then, of course, now knowing that it's though it was those two actors doing that. And then to switch hands, if they had to learn it left-handed, you know, look as good left-handed as they do right-handed... Uh, that's just, that's phenomenal. They even talked about how they had choreographed like a minute long, uh, sword fight scene, took it to Rob Reiner. He was like, yeah, that's great. I needed to be twice as long. And so after they had spent like months working this out, they had to extend it. And so, uh, I think Carrie Ellis said him and Mandy Patinkin, they would go and watch the old Errol Flynn, uh, movies and they would, they would go to the car and say, Hey, can we do this? We want to try this. And so they were actually coming back with ideas to say, hey, can we add this in? And uh, they talked about like anytime there was a break in the production, they were ha- like, if it was lunch, and he said, of course, being a UK uh, crew, there were plenty of tea breaks. So, you know, get 15 minutes for a cup of tea. So then the choreographer would pull them out and say, hey, let's go work on this for five minutes. Um, so they were always working on those fight scenes, uh, which it, it comes through so well, uh, going back and watching it now. So, uh, But my uh, my ultimate favorite scene and it's not as sentimental, but it does it. It gets me in the feels every time, and that's when Inigo Montoya kills the six-fingered man. And he's like, "Tell me, you know, promise me, promise me witches. Promise me this. Ask me for anything oh, you can have it. What do you want? I want my father back. You, you know, and that that line, that execution, just that is. I just I want to stand up and cheer every time uh, that scene happens. And then Mandy Patinkin. You know talked about that 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 was a very personal role for him that he had lost his father to cancer uh shortly before filming the movie so he said when that scene happened it was very emotional because he felt like by killing the six-finger man in his way he was killing the cancer that had killed his father and it made a very made a very poignant uh role for him so that gives it even more for me now watching it and even added bonus of just the sentiment of that
3: and he chose that role
1: right? yeah he
3: people
2: catch rob reiner let him pick yep. which role in the movie he wanted and he said i, I want him because of that because mm-hmm. it was so personal to him of of kind of of him having lost his father so yeah um, yeah i agree that that's a great one and there is one other scene that neither one of us mentioned that i know is one of our greatest <laughs> scenes and i'll let you and i'll let you finish the line all i'm gonna i'm just, I'm just gonna set you up and say the first part gotcha no more rhyming. i mean it
1: anybody want a peanut
3: <laughs> oh that, is that
1: fantastic. was that was actually how i was gonna open the i was gonna open the podcast with that but just just to start it and see if we could just do the whole the whole bit together but yeah that's still i'll i'll say that to hannah sometimes when he starts rhyming no more rhyming I mean it you know anybody want a peanut oh. the um you know and and andre the giant again the, the
2: one thing that i do remember the first time I watched this movie I, i'm DHS. Mm-hmm. I could not understand any line that he said. I remember <laughs> that distinctly watching it. Going, yeah. I, I love Andre Threat, I have no idea what he was saying.
3: Right, right. But then every time I watched it after that, we're kind of really locking in and
2: and paying attention to what he's saying. Um, uh, and then, of course, we—I know you did some research too about how uh, he didn't know how to. Not being an actor, he didn't know yeah. how to do his lines, and yeah. so they recorded his
3: lines for him and said. Just listen to this and yeah. say it like this. This is how I want you to say it. And he did that, and he nailed it exactly how they wanted him to do everything. Exactly.
1: Time. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of trivia that I'll put in the show notes. so Make sure you go and check those out. But I think we covered a lot of them. We kind of, we kind of summarized them a lot more than I had them written down. So, but did you know there was an alternate ending that they did not film for this movie?
2: I did, and I am very glad they did not. I agree. The ending as it is is perfect, and I, I and I know why they were thinking about that alternate ending you yeah. know with uh, the four of them on horseback um little freddie savage after his grandfather leaves he would go look out the window and he would see the four of them he would see Fezick Inigo, uh, wesley and, and buttercup on on horses you know outside so i get that you know kind of bringing it you know full circle there mm-hmm. if you will but it, it the perfect again i love that's my favorite scene yeah. as the grandfather yeah. it has to end right there uh
1: for me yeah it kind of goes back that that ending of the the close-up of peter fox face with the gleam in his eye is very reminiscent to mr miyagi at the end of karate kid like that uh-huh. proud father proud father figure so uh i can see why you know that that would have big correlation for you there comic books have been around for almost a century So join us for moving panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's talk about box office and critical reception. Uh, As we said earlier, Princess Bride was released in the United States on September 25th, 1987. It opened at number 16 at the box office, while Fatal Attraction was sitting at the number one spot for a second week. Now, in doing a little bit deeper research after I kind of typed this up, It opened a limited release, so that was in a very small number of theaters. So when it went to a full release, which was about three weeks later, it actually debuted at number three, but it wasn't considered a new release because it had already been released in smaller theaters. So it did kind of debut, really, in the third spot, uh, but it never made it to number one. Although it was well-received by critics at the time, it was only a modest box office hit. It grossed just over $30 million on a $16 million budget. Over time the film has become a bona fide cult classic. Which thinking about what they did for sixty million dollars, that was they made a really good movie. You know what I'm saying? I mean, as far as quality, it doesn't look cheap. I know they said they used real castles uh for you know for the, uh, the the castle scenes. A lot of the interiors were were actually part of like I think they said the bedroom was a museum, so that was all the original furniture in the in the castle, so they didn't have to buy all that stuff. But they said the uh, the draperies and things on the wall were like thousands of years old. That they, <laughs> you know, they were afraid they were going to burn or rip during production. They had to be very careful. But uh, they used their money wisely. So
2: yeah, there's no uh, no CGI in uh, Princess Bride that would that would eat up a budget. I mean, and even the parts, you know, like the rodents of unusual size, which are which is you know cheesy, but
3: yeah. it's supposed to be cheesy. It's kind yeah. of a tongue-in-cheek kind of. Thing. and there's actually little people crawling around in those rodent yeah
2: costumes so, yeah. you know that's always cheaper to do that than it is for some kind of animatronic
1: or like mm-hmm. cgi so um yeah a lot of that is probably you know paying for the 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 sets maybe the access to
3: them and the actor salary i guess i mean that would eat up your 16 million dollar uh, budget although there's no big uh
2: you know carrie elvis is, is relatively new and robin
3: wright it's her first one so i'm sure they're they weren't demanding um, yeah. huge contracts. I mean,
1: you, you didn't, you know? didn't, you didn't really, yeah, you didn't really have an A-list blockbuster kind of actor that you had to pay an enormous amount of money to. So that was good, right? And I mentioned Billy Crystal did his part really cheap because yeah. he was, all, it was only three days, and he he, he
2: you know, get friends with Reiner, and mm-hmm. loved the, the the book. So mm-hmm. uh, just to be a part of it, he was probably like, ah, just fly me over there, and I'll yeah, I'll do what I do.
1: So as far as critical response, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 97% on the tomato meter with a 94% audience score. IMDb, too low. IMDB, well, you're not going to like IMDB. They've got it at an 8.0 out of 10 with a 77 on Metacritic, which I think is ridiculous. So yeah. uh, I'm not...
2: 97% is too low.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's 110. I won't take any less.
2: <laughs> no, nope, nope, I, I don't. I don't do extra. I don't do the hundred and ten percent. But it's 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 a hundred. No, I, I can. I, again, I understand that there's some people um, that that kind of brand of humor. I, a perfect example, Robert, is this is spinal tap. Like the yeah. first time I watched this, is spinal tap, I was like, Why do people like this? Yeah. This is not good. And the second time I, I watched it, I was like, Oh, it's okay. And then the third time, I was like, Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah. And I, it, it's that that
1: irreverent kind of of. Humor that is a part of it's not entirely what Princess Bride is, but it is it is a part of it. Yeah. Um, and if you don't like that, then you're
2: not gonna. Yeah. You know, you got to see struggling.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's one of those you gotta pre- you gotta appreciate that type of humor, and you kind of gotta be in it's, you gotta be in the mood for that type of humor. It's you know sometimes just like I want a traditional or a certain kind of comedy, and that's what you're going expecting, and then you get this, it might kind of rub you the wrong way, but yeah you have to kind of know what it is going into it. Well, and they even talked about that. One of the reasons why it didn't do well at the box office was the studio didn't know how to market it. They couldn't, they couldn't market it as a straight comedy. They couldn't market it as a straight romance is like, because it was balancing these different genres. They weren't really sure how to market it. And I was kind of upset looking for uh, the poster, you know, to use for promotion for the podcast. The original poster doesn't even have buttercup or Wesley. It's the, you know, kind of a silhouette of the grandfather and the grandchild under the columns that you now think of of for the for the poster. So, you know, if I saw that in the theater like, what do I want to go see today and I saw this princess the title princess bride underneath a picture of a silhouette of a kid and an old man in a rocking chair, I'd be like, why would I want to I don't even know what this I can't even tell you what this movie is about, like why would I want to go see that? So, so I chose to use uh like the UK version which it has more of the characters in the uh in the picture. And of course, you know, they've remarketed it several, several times and used you know, the main characters in the promotion. So, but, uh, yeah, see, and I was actually looking up as you were talking. I remember a
2: little bit of that. Um, I do remember when this movie came out, but, uh, I remember when I saw it being surprised
3: about what it was versus the marketing. Yeah. And
2: I think that may have also had something to do with right behind this. Like you said, this was September, but really didn't go into a larger release until October. We're well, in the early spring of 88 Willow
3: comes out yeah and they have been advertising Willow hard okay as this as this fantasy mm-hmm. you know uh, adventure kind of, of movie right and I, and I think uh, Princess Bride is a little reluctant to, to kind of go in that same vein because while well, it's got that it's not it's not just that and so it's kind of right. almost like they steered away from it which is why you said like the, the grandfather and the grandson versus mm-hmm. the the Pirates, you know, the Dread pirate, Robert, and, right. and all this stuff, and, and because Willow was that kind of epic fantasy,
1: uh, yeah. and again, was getting huge advertising, um, um, and I saw that in the theater there in Titusville, in the spring of 88, um, but anyway, I'm sorry. No, you're good, that's, I, that's good to know, I didn't think about that, so. All right, we're, we're pretty much wrapping it up, so uh, I'm going to thank you, and then I'm going to let you read your quote, and, and, we're going we're gonna to wrap this one up. So, All
2: right, this is Wesley. I mean, uh, she, this is Buttercup talking to Wesley. Okay. I'm not going to go fast because I want to read it more like, like she would. I love you, Buttercup said. I know this may must come as something of a surprise to you, since all I've ever done is scorn you and degrade you and taunt you. But I have loved you for several hours now and every second more. I thought an hour ago that I loved you more than any woman has ever loved a man. But a half hour after that, I knew... That what I felt before was nothing compared to what I felt then. But ten minutes after that, I understood that my previous love was a puddle compared to the high seas before a storm. Your eyes are like that. Did you know? Well, they are. How many minutes ago was I? Twenty? And I brought my feelings up to then? It doesn't matter. Butterst- Buttercup still could not look at him. The sun was rising behind her now. She could feel the heat on her back, and it gave her courage. I love you so much more now than twenty minutes ago that there cannot be comparison. I love you so much more now that when you open your humble door, there cannot be comparison. There is no room in my body for anything but you. My arms love you. My ears adore you. My knees shake with blind affection. My mind begs you to ask if something, my mind begs you to ask it something so it can obey. Do you want me to follow you for the rest of your days? I will do that. Do you want me to crawl? I will crawl. I will be quiet for you or sing for you. Or if you are hungry, let me bring you food. You have 30 years, and nothing will quench it but Arabian wine. I will go to Arabi, even though it is across the world, and bring a bottle back for your lunch. Anything there is that I can do for you, I will do for you. Anything there is that I cannot do, I will learn to do. I know I cannot compete with you, with the countess and skills or wisdom or appeal, and I saw the way she looked at you, and I saw the way you looked at her but remember please that she is old and has other interests while I am 17 and for me there is only you. Dearest Wesley, I've never called you that before, have I? Wesley, 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 darling Wesley, adored Wesley, sweet, perfect Wesley, whisper that I have a chance to win your love and with that she dared the bravest thing she'd ever done. She looked right into his eyes. Wow. (laughs) That is fantastic. Yeah. And, um, and like that whole them falling in love and how it kind of comes to be, where he clearly has a thing for her and she's mm-hmm. being mean to him, and then finally she's like, no, <laughs> and uh, that
3: explains why she's like, he'll come for me, yeah. why he, he's like, I will find you, right? You know? Right? Because um, that part's always a little lacking of 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 how they how they they how they come to have the kiss of all kisses, the kiss that left them all.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, you know, last little trivia bit. Uh So Carrie Wells and Robin Wright didn't want the, the filming to end, and that was the last scene that they shot was that kissing scene. So they would each, after they would do a kissing scene, they would uh, say, we need to do that one again. There was something off about this. So they did it like six or seven times, but they said the crew didn't object because they didn't want to leave. They didn't want to stop filming either. So they just kept prolonging that kissing scene over and over again. So... Once again, I think it's, what we've said it before, we'll say it again. It's a perfect movie. There's very few movies we'll talk about as a perfect movie. This is one of them. I think it's the the casting, the director, the writing, you know, just everything about it, just kind of everything was aligned perfectly for it to be the success that it is. Uh, And even, like I said in the opening, uh, I think Mandy Patinkin talked about it in one of the the interviews about um, it being like The Wizard of Oz, where I didn't realize The Wizard of Oz was not a huge hit when it first came out, but it became a hit. Uh, as, a, as, a, as the years went on and this very much falls in that same category that even though it wasn't a big hit when it came out it's the the long lastingness of it makes it the great movie that it is not that it was number one in the box office for four straight weeks and then 10 years later what was that movie that we you know what was that big movie that everybody was talking about 10 years ago i hope to uh i almost got my daughter to watch. she started it with me didn't make it to the end but I think she needs a few more years before she can under you know kind of get the humor of it before she'll she'll really love
3: it. So
2: well, my daughter will be twenty one in a couple of days, and she doesn't really care for it. <laughs> but uh, one
3: other thing that I wanted to touch on: we talked about the love story yeah. that is Wesley and Buttercup. We talked about the love story of the grandfather and the grandson. But those things stem from the love story of the author
1: because I know you read this. Who did he write this book for? His daughters. And his daughters, when he said, "What do I? What should I write about?" Yeah. Well, what, did, what did one of one of them say? One said, "Write a write a story about a princess." And the other and daughter the other said, said, "Write a story about a bride." And he said, "Okay, I'm going to call it the Princess Bride." Exactly.
2: So it was a love story for him, a, a work of love, writing the book for yeah. his two daughters, and uh, I think that resonates in everything we've talked about. Yeah.
1: Until the next episode, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts, and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.